Just lift up your hands today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. You are our teacher. You know every heart. You know every need. You know the things that we need, Lord, to progress in our life. You are a miracle-working God, a wonder-working God. And I just declare over this house and over everyone listening on a live stream and YouTube, everyone that can hear the sound of my voice, that the love of the Father is towards you today. He loves you with a never-ending love. And His presence goes towards you today to saturate you in love, And to meet the deepest needs of your heart, He has an answer for the questions of your life. He has a purpose that is beyond what you could ever imagine. He's come with keys and tools today that would unlock your destiny and cause you to fall, fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. So we welcome you now, Holy Spirit. We have ears that hear and eyes that see in the Spirit. Lord, we're not going to just engage today at a physical level, but we're going to engage at a physical and a spiritual level. We're going to step in to the atmosphere of faith. We're going to step into the atmosphere of your presence. We're going to come up with you tonight, today. We're going to come up with you. We're going to begin to see what we've never seen before. Thank you, Father. So every mind, just be so tender to your voice. We take authority over every distraction, over every other voice. We bring everything subject to the knowledge of God. We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, the Anointed One. Every thought, every desire focused on what you have to say to us. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. Your angels fill this room. You've come to minister to our hearts. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just welcome Holy Spirit today because He's got a word for you today. He wants to minister to you today. He doesn't want you just to check in and check out. He wants to minister to your heart today because He loves you. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. Because He loves you. We welcome you, precious Holy Spirit. God is good. Amen. Amen. How are you all this morning? Look to your neighbor and say, you are the best looking person I have seen all week. Wow. New relationships are forming right now. Oh, Where's my wife? I've already told her that this morning. She's the most amazing, prettiest woman I've ever had the privilege of seeing. I showed my kids the other day, we were at McDonald's, and said, see across there, over the fence, see that building? That's the place where I first met your mother. Gee, that was a good day. All right. Enough of that. I want to talk to you today about how to build a great prayer life. Now, don't go, oh no. 
I sensed in my heart as we began to talk about the life of prayer that for many, many Christians, this is just a really difficult place. And if I was to survey everyone today, I think almost everyone would say, I wish I prayed more. I wish my prayers were more effective. I wish that I could hear God speak to me. I wish I had a strategy for my prayer life. And I want to give you the 101 of prayer today. I know there's, all, there's so much to be said by, on prayer, you know, how to enter the third heaven you know, on your left kneecap and, and, engage, uh, and engage all the angels. And, and, and you know what? I've got to be careful how I say this. I'm a simple man. Not as in, I'm not clever, but I want to make things simple to understand. Because we enter the kingdom like a child. Not childish, but like a child. And the things of the the kingdom are not supposed to be complex. You're not supposed to leave this place and think, heck, what was all that about? I could never put that into place. What What we preach on Sunday, you've got to be able to put into place on Monday. Or else it's no good, is it? It's got to be able to help you. And I, I, I was woken up by the Holy Spirit last Monday and he, got, he led me to Ephesians 1 and he very kindly gave me three keys to share today. And I want to share with you three things, three simple things that will really help you in your prayer life that every single person can do. And you don't have to do it for four hours. You just need to make it a, a regular thing in your life to engage these three things. And that will really help you because prayer is supposed to be easy. Yeah. Say with me, prayer, prayer. is supposed to be, supposed to be easy. easy. Yeah. So you ready? Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to talk to you about how to build a great devotional life. Really simple. Ephesians 1, verse 1. All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. That's you. Every single believer is a saint. Amen. You don't have to do something amazing to be a saint. You don't have to have miracles verified. You just need to be born again. Because yeah. you're sanctified, set apart, made holy. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you today. Grace to you today and peace from God our Father. Underlining, you can in Ephesians, all the time that Paul talks about God as our Father. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, say has. has. Not will, who has. Blessed me. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that every one of us would be holy and blameless before him. Did you hear that? All of us, every born again believer, is holy and blameless. That's pretty cool, isn't it? The enemy wants to accuse you, but I'm here to tell you that you're holy and blameless because you're in him. Is there an amen? Amen. Come on. In love. He predestined us to be 
to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Point number one, you and I are to pray from our position as sons. And when I say sons, I mean sons and daughters. We pray from our position as a son and daughter of the Most High God. We pray from our position as a son and daughter of the Most High God. He says here, Paul, that God has blessed us. He has blessed us. This is the reality that when you begin your life of prayer, it's from a place of understanding your position as a dearly loved son. And Paul begins by saying that you are blessed. I know what some of you are thinking. I'm not blessed. You haven't seen my bank account. And that's the problem with your prayer life, you see. I'm not blessed. You don't know who I'm married to. I'm not blessed. You've never spent a day with my mother. Some of you children are laughing now. Your mother's sitting next to you, Jen. I'm not blessed. But Paul says, this is your spiritual reality. And when you pray, you must pray from your position as a son and a daughter. Not trying to get something, but understanding that you already have something. It changes the way you pray. From a prayer of begging and asking and see, the problem is that when we pray from, a, from not as a position as a son, we can't hear the Father speak because he speaks to us as sons and daughters that have already been blessed. Amen. Our begging doesn't move God. Our faith moves God. Yeah. I've told you many times the story out of Luke 17. The disciples say to Jesus, increase our faith. And Jesus tells a story about a man who has a slave. And, and, and in this story of Luke 17, a slave is a picture of all your feelings, all the facts, right? The facts that are around you, the circumstances, and all the false lies of the enemy. That's the servant in this story. And Jesus says no, no man who has a slave who's worked out in the field all day and then comes in to the house Jesus says that, that you're not going to prepare something for the slave to eat and, 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 and serve him. No, you will get the slave to serve you. See, many Christians identify with the slave rather than the master. That's your problem. You're, you're acting like you don't have a position as a son. Now, Jesus is saying to the disciples, the way to increase your faith so you can access all that I have is understand that you are already the son and daughter of the Most High God. And the slave, which is a picture of the lives of the enemy, the circumstances, the facts, the feelings, they must serve you rather than you serve them. Yeah. Right? The, the, the slave had been serving all day in the field and he gets into the house and now the master's starting to feel sorry for the slave. Never feel sorry for circumstances and feelings. That's called self-pity. 
And self-pity doesn't work in prayer. Are you a slave or are you the master? As long as you keep Satan in the arena of faith, you're always going to win. You're always going to win. As you pray from your position as a son and daughter of the Most High God, no matter what you see, no matter how you feel, no matter what the circumstances are, you come to God and say, Lord, here's the reality. Your word says you have blessed me with every, not some, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And my faith in what you have done releases the grace of God in the heavenly places to now manifest itself on earth as it is in heaven. That's how you pray. That's how you pray. Not verbalizing to God all the problems. Not saying, oh God, would you please step in? Would you do a miracle? But it's beginning to say, God, I thank you that I am an overcomer, that I am victorious, that I am a child of God. And I begin to speak to my mountains and command them to move in the name of Jesus Christ. You pray from your position as a son and daughter of the Most High God. There's too many prayers that are wrapped and enclosed in self-pity, in weakness and despair. And Paul's reminding the saints, not just in Ephesus, but all around the world, ages to come, that you are blessed and you start as a son and daughter of the Most High God with authority and the right to declare your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's amazing. Paul says that he has blessed you and he has chosen you. So as you pray, you begin to realize that God's blessings are mine. I start as a blessed son and daughter of the Most High God and that he has chosen me. We live in a world where there's a real challenge with identity. And Paul talks about adoption and being chosen. And the Roman concept of adoption was that that a, a man or woman could take a child that needed to be adopted and bring that child into their family And all trace of the past was annulled and the full rights of of sonship was given to that child and the father assumed the role as, as if he was the very father of that child. And God says through Paul that you are chosen and adopted as his children. That's who you are. And you start with a deep revelation that I am chosen and loved, handpicked by my father. See, because we live in a world that's filled with rejection. See, the enemy is, he is the, he is, what's the phrase that I use? He is the, somebody help me, the orphan spirit. Thank you for helping me. They just looked at me blank. Sorry, I, I didn't know what I was thinking either. He is the orphan spirit and it pervades the airwaves of this world. And so as I begin my prayer each day, I have to have a realization that God has chosen me. Andrew McGrath, he picked me out and it was his good pleasure to pick me out. He didn't do it because he had to do it. It wasn't like Jesus was, you know, pulling his, twisting his arms. Oh, well, if I have to redeem him, I guess it's a good idea. You know, nobody else would save him. No, it was his good pleasure. Nobody had to push him. He looked at me and said, I want you. I pick you. You know what it's like to be in the schoolyard when, when you're being picked for footy or cricket 
and they split the teams up, A and B, and, and you know, I was, you probably find this hard to imagine, but in year seven and eight, I was the skinniest little runt of the pack. You know, if it was a litter of dogs, it'd be the last one picked. And, and so I was always picked last. But my auntie prayed for me, and one year I grew eight inches. So you knew how small I was before she prayed. And I went from the bottom of the pack to being picked first. It changes your concept. Everyone changed the way they looked at me. But you know what? God picks you first. You are the apple of his eye. And Paul says, you begin your prayer life understanding that you are chosen. You're not trying to get his attention. You already have his attention because he's chosen you. See, it changes the way you pray. You're not trying to convince God to love you or to choose you or to hear you. He's got, you've got his attention because he loves you. And he's lavished his love upon you. Isn't that amazing? Don't you love God? I love him. He says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass or our sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. What an amazing verse. We pray from our position as a son. I can't pass this verse by without commenting on the whole concept of forgiveness. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. God knew that we would need a double dose of grace to defeat the consciousness of sin that's so prevalent in the church or in the world. So he chose to see us through the perfect life of his son. And every day that you wake up and you go into prayer, you need to realize that God is looking at you in and through his son. That's called being righteous, being found in him. Clean, perfect, holy. And he goes on to say that you are forgiven of all your sins. 1 John 4, 10 said, 4 verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sin. That word literally means that God's wrath has been removed by the gift of Jesus' life and death. Yeah. He's paid the debt in full. Forgiveness literally means, listen, it means the debt that was over your head has been paid in full. Did you hear that? When Jesus won on the cross, he cried out and he said, it is finished. And that word literally means all the debts over your life have been paid in full. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed your sin. And no matter what you do now, you will always be a safe, secure son and daughter of the Most High God. And I know if you're like me, that we can wake up in the morning and be so conscious of where we failed, that the enemy would bring up lies about our past. You know, sometimes he tells me about sins I did when I was 13. Like, really? And this will stop you praying with confidence. See, this whole... Paul's trying to get confidence in the church 
So we would pray great prayers of the prayers of a son and daughter of the Most High God. He says, He's forgiven you all of your sins and no sin that you ever will commit will be ever held against you. Romans 4, 6 says, Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against you. Did you hear that? He will never, ever, ever, ever count your sins against you. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus paid the debt in full. For God to count any sin against you, the moment you take Jesus as Lord of your life, is to say that the death of Jesus wasn't sufficient for your sins. It's to go back under the law. It's to take responsibility for your sin again. So we can stand before the Lord today, clean, pure, holy, without blame. No matter what you've done in the past, the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. The writer in Hebrews says that by one sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever. See, here's the problem that when we come before God, the devil wants us to get out of Christ. Why does Paul keep saying that you and I are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, Christ in me, me in Christ, one union? Why is he saying that? Because the only position to be found in where you're free from accusation, condemnation is in Christ Jesus. He is the perfect one. He is the one without any sin. And he died so we could come into him. Our confidence is in Christ. That's why I write about in my book, The Gospel According to Noah, that the ark was covered with tar on the inside and out. And the tar was a picture of the mercy seat where God's wrath would be poured out on Jesus and, and, and our sins would be removed. And now we are covered in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at you, he can only see Jesus. He can't see you. You're found in him, in him. And so when I pray, it's with this confidence that, Father, when you look at me, you see the Son. And you say over my life, clean, pure, holy. Because here's the deal. There's never going to be a day where you live holy enough and pure enough to impress God. Oh, we, we, we measure sin. Well, I can stand before God if I've told a lie, but I can't stand before God if I've done X, Y, Z. And sure, we don't minimize sin because sin damages our heart, but it doesn't damage God. God came to man in his sin. God's never intimidated by sin. In fact, he wants us in our sin to run to him, not from him. And my confidence to come to him each day is based on this one fact, that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all sin. And my transformation is based on one thing. Transformation only occurs in the presence of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's why the devil wants to isolate you from the presence of God by telling you don't measure up. So Paul st uh, spends his time in chapter 1 convincing you to come before God in your position as a dearly loved chosen, forgiven son and daughter of the Most High God. When you get that deeply etched in your heart, you will pray prayers filled with confidence yeah. wow. as a son and a daughter. So how do we pray? We pray from our position.
Thank you, Father, that I'm blessed. I'm not striving to get something. You've already done it. You've chosen me. I don't need to impress you. There will always be a place for me in the kingdom. I tell those that I train, there's always going to be a place for you in God's house. No matter whether God blesses one on your right or your left, there's always a place in the house for God's children. Amen? You're chosen, deeply loved, forgiven. Say with me, I'm going to pray this week from a position as God's dearly loved child. Yeah. How cool is that, hey? Pray from your position. Secondly, this is a doozy, pray forth your purpose as a son. Pray from our position. So stand before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm clean, forgiven. Every day I have confidence before you. Secondly, pray forth, pray forth, pray forth your purpose as a son and a daughter. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. Hear these words, inheritance, purpose. Paul then goes on in verse 17 says, that I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul's praying that we would understand what's in the heart of God. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you would know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul wants you to understand that God has an amazing purpose and plan for your life. And we cannot live one day without realizing that God's plan for me is powerful. Do you know why people lack discipline in their life? It's not because they're lazy. It's because they have no purpose. Get purpose, get discipline. Get a reason to live. And it's really important. God knows it's so important for us not just to be dearly loved, but also to find our purpose and to function in our calling. So we begin to pray forth the purpose of God. You know, you can get prophecies and they're great, and which can unlock purpose and destiny. But one of the primary ways you discover the plans and purposes for, of God for your life is to pray. So here's, the, here's how it works. God's plan for you is in the spirit realm. Oh, you're not going to find it on the news? You're not going to find it by someone else's opinion? His plan is in the realm of the spirit. Holy Spirit, listen carefully, he carries the knowledge of God for your life. He was with the Father when the Father created you. I don't know how it all works, but sometime in history, sometime in eternity, it's sort of oxymoron, but in eternity, God planned your life from, as we know it in time, from beginning to end. And Holy Spirit sat alongside God and listened to the amazing plan for your life. From when you'd be born, where you would live, who your parents were, right through to the very last breath you take. Holy Spirit knows it all. And every time he 
searches you. He does it with the intention of praying the plan of God into your life. I want you to turn with me to Romans 8.27 and we'll see how this takes place. Pray forth your purpose as a son. Stay focused. Romans 8.27 says, And he, which is the Holy Spirit, that searches the heart. So he's searching your heart today. And what he's searching, he wants to remove anything in your heart that is contrary to God's plan and replace it with God's plan for your life. So listen, when the Holy Spirit searches your heart as you pray in the Spirit, He's removing everything that's in your heart that's contrary. All your plans, all your ideas, any, any false things that have come into your life, as we pray in the Spirit, this is what He's doing. He's pulling out everything that doesn't belong and He's taking the mind of God and He's inserting that into your heart. He's removing and replacing. That's why Paul says, put off and put on. This is what happens when you pray in the Spirit. So we pray as a son, and now we're praying forth the purposes of God. And we do that as we pray in the Holy Spirit with the language that He gives us. What happens? We don't understand with our mind what's taking place, but Paul is showing us in Romans that the Holy Spirit is coming into our heart and removing every lie, everything that would distract us, And he's taking the mind of God for our life and inserting that into our hearts. And we thought we're just praying in spirit. Something is taking place as you pray in the Holy Spirit. And he knows what the mind of the Spirit is, verse 27 and 28, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And that's how we know that all things work together for good. For them that love God who are called according to his purpose. We quote the last part of that. Well, all things will work together for good for those that love God. So everything's going to be okay. No. No, it won't be actually. Not unless you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pray into you. That's how all things work together for good. Because he's praying the exact will of God for your life. So as we pray in the Spirit, something dynamic is taking place. We are praying forth the purposes of God. So Lord, this day when I wake up, I need to know your plan for this day. Remove every distraction, every person that's going to come my way to knock me off course. I'm praying today for your perfect plan to come. Give me the mind of Christ for this day. Unfold your perfect plan for my life. So we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. The language of the Holy Spirit It's not just higgly-piggly mumbo-jumbo. It's the language of angels. The Holy Spirit language carries the thoughts, the expressions, the sentences of the Holy Spirit, and we give voice to that. And as we do that, it begins to manifest in our understanding. So as I pray in the Spirit, I'm articulating, even though my mind, and that's why it's so offensive to most people, because we can't understand it, because we are driven by our mind. It doesn't make sense, so it has no power. I don't need to do it because I don't get it. Really. As we pray in the Spirit, we are giving voice to the language of of the Spirit Himself with groanings and utterings. And as we pray that, He's praying forth the perfect plan. I don't know what to pray half the time. So I begin to pray in the Spirit and He begins to give voice to the mind of God 
for my life and your life. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, if I pray in the tongue, my spirit is praying. Holy Spirit is creating the language within me. But my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion? I'm going to pray in the spirit and I'm going to pray with understanding. And as I pray in the spirit, I find that it may be the next day or the next week, there comes understanding as to what I was praying. All of a sudden, I get flashes of brilliance that were way more brilliant than what I could ever think. It's God. It's God causing me to understand what Holy Spirit was praying into my life. Isn't that amazing? When I pray in the Spirit, not only do I get the mind of God, the purpose of God, but listen to this. Jude says that when I pray in the Holy Spirit, Jude 19 to 21, it builds me up and it keeps me in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Because my purpose can be sidetracked when I begin to see, instead of God's love and mercy, I see signs of his unfaithfulness. I see signs of his distance. So as I pray in the Holy Spirit, uh, the writer here, Jude, says, it keeps me in the love of God. It says that I look now for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It changes the way I view life. One of the reasons Christians lose out on the purpose of God for their life is they're sidetracked by pain. Taken out. So as I pray in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reminds me because he, he comes into my heart to shed abroad in my heart the love of the Father. So as I pray in the Spirit, I get fresh revelation of how much God loves me. I begin to see God's mercy in every area of my life. Pray forth His purpose. Not only do I get revelation of His mind, but I get protection from God Himself that keeps my heart from being damaged as I go through the course of my life. And if today you don't pray in the Holy Spirit, if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit and speaking tongues, let me tell you, it is so easy. Even a child could do it. Why do I say that? It's so easy because I made it so hard until I found out how easy it was. Here's how it works. If I can simplify such a Wonderful supernatural thing. The moment you get born again, Holy Spirit makes his, himself comfortable inside us. He calls our body his home. It's like he puts a big water tank inside. Out of our innermost beings, there come springs of living water. It's the Holy Spirit. He comes and makes his home there. If we want to release him in the language of the Spirit, it's like our mouth becomes the tap. And all we have to do to get what's in the tank out, in the ins- out from inside to the outside is turn the tap on. You can have all the water you like in the tank, but if you don't turn the tap on, nothing comes out. And it's literally turning the tap. That's all it is. So people stand there, you pray for them. They've just got their tap shut. Or else they start speaking in English. And instead of cold water coming out, they've turned another tap called Coca-Cola or whatever else it is. Because they haven't learnt that the language of the Holy Spirit is not the language of the mind, it's the language of the Spirit. You can't speak in tongues and English at the same time. It doesn't work. So if you want to be baptised in the Holy Spirit, you're giving voice to the Holy Spirit within you. But it takes a step of faith. 
When you got born again, I say it like this. When you asked Jesus to come into your life, did he appear before you with 4,000 angels and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's the cross. There's my blood. Well, not really. For most of us, it was an act of faith. We heard the gospel. It quickened our heart. We felt God move on us, and we responded by faith, and we said, Jesus, come in, and he came in. And it's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a step of faith. God says, open your mouth and I will fill it. Turn the tap on and the water will come out. The moment you begin to give voice to the Spirit, God begins to flow. It's as simple as that. Well, what will it sound like? I don't know. Try it. Your job is not to assess how it sounds. Your job is to let it flow. And so, oh, is that me? Is that God? Have more faith in God to fill you than in the devil to deceive you. He says, if you being earthly fathers that know how to give good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit. So as we hunger and we say, Lord, fill us, I want to receive your heavenly language so I can step into that realm where I discover your thoughts. I can begin to move in the realm of the Spirit because my natural mind and language has, is so limited. So I want to step into your language and your realm. So would you feel me? And as I pray that, I then just began to speak. Whatever was in my spirit, I felt my spirit begin to move. You know what I mean by that when the Holy Spirit moves inside you? You just give voice to that. And it comes deep within, deep calls to deep. It's not here, turn your brain off, because that's, that's your problem. That's the limitation is your natural way of thinking. So he wants to fill you today. And if there's anyone here that isn't able to pray forth their purpose with the language of the Holy Spirit, he wants to fill you today. I have great confidence that you will be filled. Amen? And if you're listening on live stream, you can be filled today in your lounge room, in the car, just keep your eyes on the road, anywhere you are. The Holy Spirit is here to fill you. And we pray even now. Why don't you lift up your hands for those listening on YouTube, live stream, wherever they are, that right this moment, as they hear my voice, release the gift of tongues. As you open your mouth right now and articulate the voice of the Spirit, the movement of the Spirit, I release God's free gift to baptize you in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of tongues. And as it begins to bubble up, let it flow like a mighty river in the name of Jesus. And I declare over this place today, if there be one that doesn't have the gift of tongues, that this day you will be released into the gift of, the, of tongues, that you will pray with such a flow of the Holy Ghost. And out of that language would come forth mysteries, revelation, the purposes of God, strengthen in, in your inner man. You will begin to see things that you've never seen before. I release by faith the gift of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Pray from our position as a son. Pray forth our purposes as a son. And lastly, pray filled with power as a son. Paul says in verse 19 of Ephesians 1, What is the surpassing greatness of God's power that is towards us who believe? That feels so powerless. Oh, I feel so powerless. I've been under attack this week. Oh, I don't know. 
feel so beaten up and bashed. I don't mean to make light of that, but Paul prays that you and I would get a revelation of the surpassing greatness of God's power that is towards us who believe. What sort of power, you say? Thank you for asking. He says, it's the same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. I've heard it said that the power that was exerted to raise Jesus from the dead was, that was greater in its dimension and capacity than the power that God used to create the world. Wow. For there was far more opposition, if you can call it that, when Jesus was raised from the dead than when God created the world. And Paul says that same power. So think about it. I know we feel like we're under attack, but this, can, I, can I provide some perspective? You've probably got at the most one or two hairy leg demons after you. Okay, just some perspective. I'm not minimizing it, but that's Jesus had the devil and all of hell, every demon assigned on that day. You're all on duty. We're going to keep the Messiah under wraps. So that tells me that all the assembled power of the kingdom of darkness was no match for Jesus. And Paul says that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. Think about it. So if you've got two little hairy-legged critters that come into your room and taunt you at night, you just remind yourself, Jesus and I have taken the whole lot of you out, you too are no match for me. That's how it is. And Paul says this, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that's quickened you, that's in you. And Jesus is now the head of all principality and all power. And he's done that for the sake of his church, which is his body that fills all in all. We are the expression of Jesus on earth. We are one with him and he rules and reigns over every principality and all power. So when we pray, we pray prayers filled with power, with power, with power. You have authority and power over the devil. And God has often woken me up and said, Andrew, what in the... Uh, The Hebrew word for heck. I don't know what it is. What in the diggings are you doing? Because I pray prayers like, oh God, oh God, I've had a really bad day. Things aren't good. I need a miracle. And God says, who are you again? Where's your authority? You have authority in your family. You have authority in your workplace. You have authority over all that you own. Use it. Oh, oh, good point, Lord. And so I get up and I begin to walk through my house while the kids are asleep. And I take authority over the enemy that would come against my children and cause havoc in their life. I say, I bind you in Jesus' name. If you want to touch my children, you're going to have to come through me in Jesus. All the best. 
because you're not taking my children down. You're going to have to take me down first. I will not allow you to touch my family. And I take my authority as the Son of God because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that defeated every principality and power is in me as a child of God. I know that I have authority against the works of the evil one and he will not defy me. Now, there may be a battle. There may be a battle. But I know this, having done all to stand, I stand. That's why the, the end of Ephesians says that we are to be dressed in the armour of God. And this is what it looks like. If I look like Jesus, if I dress like Jesus, the devil won't know any different. But if I make sounds and expressions that doesn't sound like Jesus, the devil can pick me a mile away. But if I dress in him, in truth, shield of faith, the, the, the helmet of salvation, etc., etc., if I put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh, I use my authority, he cannot tell the difference between Jesus and me. Paul I know and Jesus I know. Why? Because Paul was in Jesus. So use your authority when you pray. Pray from your position as a loved child of God. That's about your intimacy with the Father, that you're forgiven and loved. And every time you wake up and pray, God is waiting for you. He's sitting on the end of your bed saying, I'm glad you woke up. Let's talk. I love you. His face is always towards you. Never will he be angry with you. You know, if you think he's angry with you, you don't know God. This is how God speaks. Listen, the fruit of the Spirit are the way to understand how God speaks. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought it was something that we had to bear. But what if it was that God is speaking to us through the fruit of the Spirit, and as He speaks to us with the language of love, we become love. We love because He first loved us. As we hear Him speak over us, we become. So we try to bear something without first receiving something. So the way God speaks to us in our devotions is God's, God's got self-control. It's like, right, Beck, I've had enough. You mess up today and you're out of here. No, because God's got self-control. How could he put self-control in us if he doesn't have it himself? See, his language is self-control, goodness, kindness, gentleness. So if, if we tune into an angry father... No wonder our prayer life doesn't work because we're on the wrong wavelength. God, God speaks to us through the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. So we dial into love and peace. Well, you're just making it up. No, I'm not making it up. That's how God speaks. He loves me. He, he's kind and compassionate. So we come as our, from our position as a son. We pray forth then the purposes of God through the language of the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know the mind of the Father. Only you know that. And you've been freely given to me that I would know the deep things of the Father. No man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man that's in him. Likewise, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is our connector to the Father to reveal everything that God has for us. So thank you, Holy Spirit. You're revealing to me today Father's plan and purpose. Pray forth the purposes. And thirdly, we pray filled with power. Power. Wonder-working power. 
miracle-working power. This is where it gets fun, where we begin to exercise our authority over the works of the devil. And I have seen my family, members of my family, because we all go through challenges. I've seen God shift things almost overnight because I've stood up and prayed. I've watched it deteriorate, and all of a sudden God's gone, whack, in, in a loving way. What are you doing, boy? <laughs> well, I was just waiting for you to do something. And he said, well, I'm waiting for you. Move, speak, take your authority. Yeah. And he gives me a loving whack. When I say whack, it's like a wake-up call. Andrew, who are you? What have I given you? Isn't Jesus king of kings and lord of... He's not a king of slaves and lord of slaves. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. That's his name. So he's designed us to function as a king, as one who decrees and takes authority over the works of the enemy. Much more would be done in the kingdom if we stopped waiting for God to work and we began to step out in faith and take our authority. There are people here today where the enemy has caused havoc in your family and God's saying to you today, take up your authority and exercise your power over the works of the enemy. Don't give up and don't give in. Take your authority. Having done all to stand, you stand. And you say to the devil, if you think you're going to take me out that easy, you've got another thing coming. Yeah. And that's not being cocky. That's not being... That, that's, that's taking your authority as a son and daughter of the Most High God. When someone touches my children in the natural, if I had hairs on my head, they would stand up. It's like I go into... into Attack mode. It's like I'm the protector, the defender. But that has its limitations. It's far more powerful to stand in the realm of the Spirit and begin to exercise your authority over the works of the evil one. You begin doing that on your, in your own life. Satan, you've had long enough in my life, causing me pain. Now, I don't minimise when I talk about self-pity and pain. I don't minimise that. We've all been through that. But there comes a time as a child of God, according to what Paul is writing, where you take your authority and in prayer you say, I, I take authority over you. I take authority over those thoughts, those accusations, that you, you think that you can hammer me so I will never change. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ. And as I use the name of Jesus, Jesus goes before the Father and the Father says, leave it to me. I'll take care of it. We have been given authority. Let me just read you one last scripture before we finish. Jesus said in John 14, 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And that Greek word ask, listen to what it means. It literally means to demand. Whatever you demand is your right and privilege what, what it's saying, Jesus is saying is, you demand it in my name and I'll make sure it's done through the Father. Yeah. We don't come with, with little incy-wincy prayers. You take your authority and you demand change. You speak to the mountains and you say, mountain, be removed. I demand now in the name of Jesus that you stop defying me. I take authority over you. And so we begin to get courage Something rises up within us. The power of an overcomer. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You are 
of God. You carry the very nature of God within you. Don't roll over. Don't say, oh, it's all too hard. Stop it. You are of God. Speak to yourself. When you feel yourself giving up, when you feel yourself rolling over, I'm of God. And I'm going to pray prayers of God and begin to speak to my mountain. Release the power of God because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in me today. And I take authority. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know what challenges that you are facing doing that. But Paul assured us that the power of God is at work within you. He says, you pray prayers as a son. You pray forth your purpose. You pray powerful prayers. This doesn't mean you have to you know, spend the first four hours of your day. It may be just a matter of course while you're in the car. Thank you, Father, that I'm your dearly loved child. I give you the praise that you've forgiven me and chosen me. Thank you that you've adopted me with the full rights of, as a son. See, it's a very simple prayer. Begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are taking the mind of God and put it in my heart. You're removing everything that doesn't belong according to my purpose. And you're bringing a realization of the purpose of God from my heart. So you can pray in tongues for a minute, two minutes, whatever you like. And then you begin to exercise your authority. Father, I thank you today. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And every work of the enemy I bind in Jesus' name. I take my authority over sin, sickness and disease and poverty. I curse you in Jesus' name. Any area where the enemy is trying to get in, you, you bind and you take authority. You shut that door. There's prayer done. And you can do that right throughout the day. You can pray more into one than the other. You can pray from the intimacy and the love of the Father. One day you may focus on tongues. The next day you may focus on power, whatever it is. But God has given you the keys in Ephesians 1 to pray effective prayers. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you today for your word. The entrance of your word gives light. I'm praying today, Lord, that your people, as they go home this week, will just enter into a lifestyle of intimacy and prayer. You've made it easy. We just pray from our hearts. So, Lord, give your people confidence to come and to pray prayers that would change them and change the world around them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've come alongside us to help us pray. You're the great teacher. You teach us in a way that we understand, a way that we can get. So we welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to seal all that's been spoken today. Let not the enemy take one thing away, but plant it in our hearts and our minds. I ask in Jesus' name.